0: Welcome to another episode of Dementia Dialogue. Today, we begin a new series on young onset dementia. For the next several episodes, we will alternate between our series on the arts and this new series. Later in the spring, we will resume our series on 2SLGBTQ plus issues. We talk of dementia as a condition largely misunderstood by most Canadians. While most people with dementia are older, a significant and growing number of people experience a condition called young onset dementia. In this series, we will talk to family members and people with young onset, as well as a physician scientist. We also will be reminding listeners of some of the other episodes where we have chatted with others who have experienced dementia at an early age. This series is co-hosted by Gillian McConnell and Kathy Hickman of The Brain Exchange. In this episode, Jillian talks with Matt Denine about his experience as a spouse to his wife, Lisa, and as father to their children. You may recall that Lisa Loiselle and Faye Forbes interviewed Matt in our series on spirituality. Let's listen in as Jillian and Matt discuss the experience in the Denine family.
1: Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining me today. Can we get started by you telling us a bit about yourself and your family?
2: Yes. Well, thanks very much, Jillian, uh, for having me as your guest. It's um, our world came, or my world, and and those of my three children, and uh, my wife Lisa came crashing down in um, January of 2013 when uh, she was diagnosed with behavioral variant FTD, which is a rare form of uh, dementia. And our three children at the time were 12, 10, and 8. Up until probably about two years prior, uh, Lisa had been showing some signs of, of just not being herself and we had uh, a wonderful marriage um, you know obviously we had our usual issues in any marriage but very happily married and uh, things were going great and then all of a sudden Lisa lost her job she started to show signs that she didn't care for her hygiene uh, things weren't getting done around the house um, and it just, it really uh, precipitated me going to her doctor and saying that these were the things that uh, I had observed. And really, I want to start by saying that we were, Lisa was one of the fortunate ones in that her, her case was expedited. Um, we didn't have to spend, usually it's on average, about three and a half years from the onset of uh, behaviors to diagnosis. And we were spared a lot of the uh, harmful effects. Like Lisa wasn't put on any uh, wrong meds. She wasn't misdiagnosed. I mean, things for us Julian were, were really coming to a head. And I think back in August of 2012, it was just an excruciating time. And that's where everything just kind of broke. And uh, I remember we'd gone for marriage counselling. At her GP's um, insistence, and we we went in, and even after the first session, the uh, the marriage counselor said to me, "Matt, i like I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I've never seen anything like this before." So, in my, uh, you know, everything I had said to them was, you know, things things are not something's going on here, and yet at the same time, Lisa was saying, "No, everything is great and uh, great marriage and." So we were fortunate in that, as I mentioned her, her GP, there had been an incident involving one of the children and their safety. And I remember that day I called him and said, either you're doing this or I am going to the justice of the peace. Mm -hmm. And he told me, Matt, we have enough evidence and anecdotal stuff that you have given us that, uh, You need to bring her in. And there's a process called being formed. And so she was formed. And uh, that day, I believe it was September, I had offered to bring her uh, on my lunch break. And the doctor said, do not bring her then. There will be too many people there. And she may end up having to be taken in a police car. That's when I thought, this is serious. And he says, please come in after work. And if she's compliant, she can go with you. And, uh, and that's what happened. That, uh, that was the day that broke uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, eventually, there's, there's some details I can provide, but eventually led, um, you know, a few short months later to, uh, to her going to the Bruyere Memory uh, Clinic here in Ottawa and receiving on January th- January 10th of 2013, the diagnosis of probable behavioral variant FTD. So, so just to kind of backtrack that day that she was formed, we ended up at the Ottawa Civic Hospital and uh, it was almost a dungeon-like experience going to the basement and the psych- uh, psychiatric unit and having to answer all these questions, each of us going into separate rooms and then, Uh, being brought back in and meeting with the head uh, psychiatrist there at the hospital. And uh, I just remember him, he was shaking his head at me. Like, this is unbelievable what's going on. Like, here you are. And yet Lisa was uh, saying, you know what, can we leave soon? Matt's got to play hockey uh, later tonight. And it it was beyond anything I've ever experienced. And um, luckily she she then became an outpatient at the Ottawa, uh, through the Ottawa Civic uh, Psychiatric Unit, outpatient unit. Uh, they then ran a whole battery of tests on her, including an MRI. And I remember it was early December um, and we had an appointment and that's when the doctor said to me, I need to speak with you. Can you come into this room? And I went into the room and the doctor had up on um, a screen, uh, two brain images. One on the left was that of a normal 43 year old female. And the other on the right was Lisa's and it was apparent there was atrophy. And it's Mm -hmm. at that point that they said to me, we're pretty sure that this is a neurological issue and not not a, um, a psychiatric one. And so that's what then led us to the me- Bruyere Memory Clinic, and uh, they expedited the case. And like I said back on January the 10th, 2013, Doctor Andrew Frank made that uh, uh, diagnosis. And so that day for me, it was a, it, it really was a blessing because it it put a name it 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 gave. Um, it answered a lot of unanswered questions. So with with this type of dementia, it really wears Alzheimer's, you know, robs a person of their memory, FTD robs a person of their personality. And so that's what we had been seeing. Some of these crazy behaviors uh, that Lisa had been exhibiting just wasn't who she was. And as her, uh, her husband, it was so darn frustrating because they said, for me it felt uh, like I was ramming my head through a rock just chipping away chipping away chipping away and just trying to survive and protect the kids from mm-hmm. um some of the things that they were seeing as young as young like Justin was 12 uh, Rebecca was 10 and, and Peter was 8 and you know this is stuff some of the things that they shouldn't have been seeing I remember one example uh Lisa going out in the middle of an absolute blizzard snowstorm. And she is someone, Jillian, who took care of herself, had picked up running and ended up going into marathons and half marathons. I remember the kids literally hanging off of her leg, begging and pleading her not to go out in a snowstorm. And she just, and and you learn afterwards, you can't reason with somebody with dementia. But we didn't know that at the time. And I remember her coming back and she said to me, I almost got hit by uh, one of those major snowplows because she would plug in, she would bring her iPod at the time. And I just thought, good, good Lord. Like, and that's what I said the day, the day we finally found out uh, it was a blessing because I said at the time, either I'd be getting her out of the back of an ambulance or out of the back of a police car. So at least with the diagnosis and then having to go into long-term care. Uh, it meant she was going to be taken care of and, most importantly, that she would be safe.
1: Can you tell me about whether or what you and Lisa decided, or maybe it was just you, I'm not sure, about telling your kids about the diagnosis?
2: To the best of my, my recollection, you know, we came home and 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 told the kids what it was. I do remember having a conversation and Peter, Peter again, was the youngest, asking me and I, I told them. Uh, And again, not afraid to, you know, being careful not to divulge too much that, you know, for example, this is a degenerative terminal disease. I I wasn't going to tell them that, but I said, you know, slowly mommy's brain is shrinking. And I'll never forget this. He asked, so does that mean like eventually she'll have to be in a wheelchair? I thought, geez, this kid at eight is asking me this and he understands. And I said, you know what, Peter, probably because mommy's legs will stop working and you know but what i recall more vividly jillian was the day i had to tell them that mommy was leaving home and that was um i actually had them write or draw a symbol of uh what that meant to them and it it was just i mean for one of them, it was you know that where where there was a sky a sunny sky had now turned cloudy and dark right and so you know trying to make them see that you know I had asked them to draw a symbol of Mummy as they knew her and now Mummy having to leave home and I was trying to convey to them through this exercise that you know that old Mummy will never leave us right that sunny those memories. And, uh, you know, Lisa was that mother who uh, just doted on her kids, like all mothers do, but we had a really great uh, setup. So I'm a teacher and uh, Lisa worked one day a week as an insurance broker. Um, and then in the summer when I was off, she would fill in for her, uh, her two uh, bosses at, at the, the insurance office. It was a small insurance company. And so that really allowed Lisa to be a stay at home mom. And I'm so glad that she did that. And she was very involved even after diagnosis with the, uh, with the parent council and just actively involved. So she was at the school almost every other day and just always a cheery, cheery disposition. And so I see her every day and Lisa's at a point where she, she cannot communicate but I take my finger and it's like I'm writing on her back, and I will say to her, "World's best," and she never misses a beat, and she'll fill it in and say, "Mum," wow. and then I add "and," and she forgets this part, and I say "hugger," so world's best mum and hugger, but she'll never not say "mum." And it's just like she knows that it's uh, even even when I see her with the kids, it's it's apparent, you know, that uh, you don't need to have oral communication in, in order to express your affection for somebody. And that's still you can see that with her uh, when the kids come in and she's just, uh, you know, she's her eyes still light up.
1: And your kids are a little bit older now, I think around last year of high school and two in university. But. That's their mom they're visiting in long-term care. That's not the image that most people think of when they think of a a resident of long-term care care homes.
2: It certainly isn't. And uh, as I was sharing with you earlier, you know, Peter, I I especially think of of Peter. One time it dawned on me, this is about two, two and a half years ago and I started doing the math. I'm like, oh my goodness. Half his life will always be that... Or, or up to that point will be with his having his mother at home versus then in long-term care. Right. And um, it, it was, yeah. So he's 17 now it was when he was 16. I thought, you know, half of his life has been without mom and home. And that's just, I, we talk about ambiguous loss um, and the grieving process. And it's, it's, it's on a daily basis. And I can only speak as a 51 year old, uh, husband and father. I can't even imagine what that's like as uh, from a child's perspective. Mm-hmm.
1: Can you talk about some of the things that have been the most challenging for you with Lisa being diagnosed at a younger age compared to someone who was diagnosed later on in life?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I would, I guess I start by saying it—it it is just making people like myself, prior to 2013, you say the word dementia, I think of somebody with gray hair who's old, right? Like grandma, grandpa. And and now, um, I guess it's, it's we, we use this word in education, mindset, mindset. And I think I was sharing this with you that it's not just seniors who reside in long-term care homes. Um, on the road outside of Lisa's um, home, you know, has an elderly crossing. And I'm thinking, okay, yes, the majority are, but we are seeing, and hence the reason for your series Mm -hmm. on Young Onset, you're excluding a group that has been impacted by this dementia. So that's, I guess, an answer to your question. That has been, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges is A, educating people, Right, Because I can get angry, I can get mad, but then I think, well, a better tool is to take the time to teach people. And uh, we've been doing that for a long time now to, you know, when I, I had never been Twitter person and, my, you know, when I decided to go on Twitter and use it for advocacy, I decided to say to change, you know, to change the face of dementia, right? To say, hey, it's, it's not as I had thought old, older people, but now it can, can be people as young as you know I've read where there's even people in their 20s who have been impacted by Mm -hmm. this so that would be one of them is the system another one is just you know having the demands of work of all three of the kids were highly involved in competitive sports um, just trying to figure out schedules making things run that first year um I was able to, at least the uh, when she was diagnosed in January, I was able to take the rest of the semester off. And I can tell you, there was, I think, one day where I stayed in bed and just napped and didn't do any kind of work related. But the paperwork, having to, um, you know, figure out finances, one of the symptomatic signs of FTD is, you um, is spending money that that the other partner doesn't know about and that had happened in our situation so there was a there was a mess to clean up and get the financial house in order uh so going fighting the system trying to find uh i remember somebody i contacted a lawyer and a lawyer said well matt your best bet is to divorce lisa for your own financial benefit <laughs> i i'm like pardon me and um and so it was just, and this was early on, I thought, geez, and just all these obstacles. There were many, many obstacles, but I want to also say, Jillian, that um, I was blessed with some real angels. And I think back that somebody who helped me worked in, um, at the time in, in my area, our MP was Pierre Polyev and um she his assistant in that office just took a such a passionate dance with myself and the family and just walked us through all the paperwork through the disability cpp all of that answered my my questions and it was a real i don't know what i would have done um without her and uh just just the the good fortune of having people who uh, who cared along the way to to help mm-hmm. so you know, I think going back to the sports and parents who offered to drive, uh, grandparents, uh, other family members, um, you know, it all gets done. But uh, looking back, I I, I I, often think, how did I manage to come through that? And luckily the answer is a lot of great support in place. It, it reminds me that the meeting that I had with the kids when I had to tell them uh, about their mother having to leave home I said to them you know this is horrible this shouldn't happen it's not what's supposed to be but I said you know what you guys there are people who are worse off than us and I said we are going to take you know a lemon which is sour and we're going to turn it into lemonade I actually said that to them you know corny dad thing to say but it 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 really was, and I think you know uh, my faith plays a big part. But it really is you know you can have your 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 pity party, but realize that there are people that are worse off. And I I think uh, I, I, again in my life I've been blessed to know Roger Nielsen. Roger Nielsen. We have a pediatric palliative uh, home here called Rogers uh, Rogers House. And it's named after Roger Nielsen, and I think one of the things I I was able to do when the kids were even younger, this was before Lisa was diagnosed, was we got to walk through that pediatric palliative care center and see children. Uh, They got to see children who were not coming out of there, most of whom did not, ended up passing. And I think, you know, being able to go back and say to the kids, yes, this is devastating what's happened. But we're going to do our best and get through this together as a unit. So um, other people who are instrumental uh, to me in in my journey and continue to be there are the the wonderful people at the Association for Frontal Temporal uh, Degeneration uh, down in, um, in Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. They've been my lifeline. Um, I, I think of, um, the dementia society of Ottawa and Renfrew County. I've had a care coach by the name of Neil Roson, who I, I called now a near and dear friend who has, uh, who has been there for me every step of the way. And I can call him, uh, as a matter of fact, we just made plans to meet up, uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and I can share with him anything that I'm going through. And the, the best thing is his ability to listen. And um, having that has been just uh, a tremendous value. I think of the people early on at Baycrest out of Toronto that um, we did a, a pilot group. And some of the people I got to talk with and hear their stories, their sources of strength. Because you think, Jillian, that you're, you're an island. I remember even trying to find other people in the Ottawa area who were my age who had a similar situation, you know, they ran, the AFTD ran postal code checks for their support groups to try and find and put me in contact. And there really wasn't anyone, you know, and that's changed. But I think too, of uh, other things that I did was I really delved into the research. Uh, I did, I continued to do that. I think too, I want to just tip my hat to Dr. Andrew Frank uh, here in Ottawa memory at Breyer. Uh, who continues to answer any and all questions that I've had and is just always there when I need to speak to him, as well as doctors uh, Pedro Rosaneta out of McGill Centre for Studies in Aging and Dr. Um, Doctor Serge Gauthier, who uh, very well respected Order of Canada and I believe is just retired, but you could reach out to these doctors and ask them a question and, and they were they would be able to uh, answer. And not just that, but they also championed me for my advocacy work. And that, that really fueled me because uh, maybe it's my Irish heritage, but, um, you know, I really been fortunate to have uh, been able to bring this issue to a wide audience across North America and never would have imagined in my wildest dreams that I'd be up on a center stage speaking to scientists and and delegates in uh, in Vancouver. Um, You know, I think back at at an international conference and just sharing our experience and what it's like and uh, also getting to meet people who have gone through this. Um, There's all kinds of of people. And so having that support uh, has been tremendous. Uh, I've got an amazing, amazing group of, of friends who are near and dear and who are always checking in and uh, I don't know what I do without them. I can tell you that there was a time where I told people and very bluntly, as a matter of fact, and again, Irish blood, either you're on my train or you're not. And if you're not, don't get in my way. And some people perceive me as, as maybe a, a bully, but I've learned and, um, you know, it, it took It it did take some professional help for about two years uh, that I had to learn to come to terms with why people I had assumed should be there helping weren't, and that included family. And that's where at one point and through uh, working with a psychologist, I came to the point. I, I just want to surround myself. I've got a great network of friends. And they build me up. They don't tear me down. They're positive. I want to surround myself. And that was, for me, one of the best things I ever did. Was it painful to cut ties um, with, with, with several people? It was. But at the end of the day, Jillian, nobody but myself and my children knew the full extent of what was happening inside the walls of our home. And the sad thing is people feel... You know, we live in a society where, you know, people feel that they have, uh, they can comment on maybe some of the things that they, they've they seen or, you know, Matt's locking up his wife in a long-term care facility and and you've got to wear that. And um, I'm at a point now where I am a moderator with a men's support group through the AFTD and we talk about this, all the layers that lie below the surface that people have no clue about, but, you uh, yeah, so it's it's really helped me in my own with my own mental health, my own progress to to surround myself with people who build you up. and um, you know I, I know the kids as well that they've got a really great group of friends who are there. They've got caring adults in their lives, and uh, they know that there's always uh, you know the access to uh, professional help if if they want to take advantage of that. All right.
1: So now here we are, almost nine years since Lisa's diagnosis. What is life like for you now?
2: Well, I at one point when, you know, January 10th of 2013, it was a darkened tunnel, even though I had gotten the answer to what was going on, uh, where once there was absolute and total darkness and there was no being able to see ahead into the future. It was just grinded out, um, Get through, pull the kids through, pull myself through. Now there's actually quite a bit of light, and as you mentioned, the kids are the two oldest. Justin's in his fourth year at Laurentian, and Rebecca's uh, thriving in her second at Trent University, and Peter's in his last year of high school, and they've all done uh, so well um, in all areas, and that's I call them my my superstars. And, um, you know, they, they, they probably don't know this, but, uh, they have been a source of inspiration for me, you know, watching them succeed on and off the field. And it's what gives me uh, strength, uh, to go about. So, um, all that to say, I'm enjoying and taking up some, uh, some hobbies of my own. I am actually joking with friends. Those who know me, I actually have, some more time on my hands that I've never had before. So taking up some hobbies like birding, uh, nature walking, um, you know, time to catch up over usually beer and chicken wings with uh, some friends and catch a hockey game that I'm not out running somebody here, there, everywhere. I always joked I was going to master cloning myself three times and that way there would be no conflicts in the, uh, in the calendar. So, um, But yes, and, and I think too, for me, being able to help others who are going through uh, just a, about a month and a half ago, uh, I had somebody here in Ottawa reach out to me um, and want to talk and honest to goodness, Julian, his story was almost identical to mine um, and, and, uh, and children even younger than, than uh, ours were at the time. And just being able to, you know, pay it forward, I guess, is the best way because, um, you know, people did that for me. I think of a lady by the name of Linda Radlin. uh, And she resides in Nevada and is kind of the guru in in caregiving to people whose loved one has FTD and just uh, was fortunate to meet her in Vancouver, went out for lunch and she took me under her wing and, you know, just good people that you can listen as Neil Rozon does for me that I can listen to others and and maybe just maybe you know say I've been through this and I've tried this and not tell them what to do but just know hey I, I'm you're not alone that's really what it comes down to you're not alone and and again this series uh on um being devoted to early onset is is wonderful because we are seeing the numbers are going to go up Medical community is not very well versed when it comes to FTD, and I hope for people's sake um, that when they start seeing these behaviors, as I saw Lisa going, I'm like, "Who is this person? I agreed to spend the life rest of my life with these things. Like, what the hell is going on?" Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe, just maybe there'll be awareness that, um, you know, marriage counselors will be able to say, oh, wait a second, maybe these symptoms, maybe it is FTD. Or that um, our our young doctors in medical school are receiving training on to recognize the signs um, and symptoms of, of early onset. And thereby people don't get administered the wrong medication that messes them up. And maybe some marriages don't end in divorce, right? That people are spared some of the things uh, that other people with FDD have have gone through.
1: What would you want others to know that we haven't chatted about already today when it comes to young onset or early onset dementia and the impact it can have on families?
2: Well, I I think the biggest one, Jillian, is that they're not any less of a person because of this diagnosis and i've heard that sadly um you know oh that person that person is is gone and 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 i know sometimes we can look at semantics and i understand what they're saying by that but we we can't forget that that even though they're cognitively not the same you know as they were you know i look I think of lisa she can't speak she can't tell t- She cannot tell me I love you, or this is what happened today. It doesn't make her any less of a person. And I think, you know, for people who are experiencing this or going through, hold on to it's okay to hold on to those memories and cherish them. Because, you know, when all is said and done, you want to be left with, you know, the happy memories and uh, not just, you know, the person who who had FTD. Um, so that would be that would be one.
1: Well, I, I know that uh, we can continue on for quite a while, but I think we'll have to leave it here. Um, I just wanna thank you for sharing your and your family story with all of us today. It's, um, and thank you so much for, for your vulnerability, for being so open and honest about your experiences and your perspectives. Um, I think you've helped a lot of people. I don't have any doubt about that.
2: Well, thank you very much, Jillian. it was a pleasure. And again, thank you uh, to all those involved with the dementia dialogues for shedding light on what is only going to become a more and more apparent uh, we're going to see that in this, in this country.
0: Thank you, Matt and Jillian, for this conversation. The impact of dementia on a young family is only now being understood. As Matt said, this situation was so new to many of the clinicians his family has met along the way. Matt's willingness to share is matched by his children, and we are privileged to have them join Jillian in a conversation that we will share in our next episode in the Young Onset series. Peer groups are forming in many different communities across Canada to support folks with Young Onset Dementia and their families. You can find out more information about them by contacting your local Alzheimer's Society. Last fall, we held two successful focus groups to hear from people about how we can improve Dementia Dialogue. We are going to hold another two focus groups in early March. If you would like to sign up, please send us a note at dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca. We want to show our appreciation to participants by offering a $25 gift card for your time. We are welcoming March with the first episode in our Francophone series. We are very excited to bring this to our Francophone listeners. And if you know of any Francophones who may enjoy listening to a Bellotto, please let them know that one is coming their way. In our next episode, we return to our arts program with an interview with Cynthia Hewling-Hummel, who co-hosted an earlier episode on the arts, and Daniel Potts, a physician, poet, and advocate. Please join us on March 8th for that conversation. Thanks to the Center for Education and Research on Aging and Health at Lakehead University, our institutional partner, and to the Public Health Agency of Canada for its financial support. If you would like to have your episode delivered to your inbox instead of searching it out on the web, please contact us at dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca and we will arrange to send an episode to you when it is released so that it will arrive in your inbox just in time. We also think that this service might be of interest to others that may have difficulty accessing a podcast on the website. So perhaps you could pass this information along or help a person subscribe uh, through Dementia.Dialogue and LakeheadU.ca. Thanks very much for listening. My name is David Harvey.